0: Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go because we're about to get started with today's message. The, as you as you know, we've been going through the book of Revelation. If you're visiting with us, that's what we've been doing. We're going through the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to take a little break from that this week. And uh, Nick Emery is here with us. Nick is a pastor at a local church, Hope Crossing. He's also the executive director of Life Choices uh community pregnancy clinic. And so we're really excited to have Nick here with us morning. He's going to share a little bit about what's going on with that clinic, a, a ministry that Hilltop has supported for, I think, since its inception. And then uh, he's also going to share a message from John chapter 17. So Nick is here with us. Give him a warm Hilltop welcome. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. I always love being here at Hilltop. I can't always say that about some of the churches I visit, so just kidding, maybe. No, you guys are a dynamic, beautiful, strong worship family. I'm so grateful for what God is doing, how he's using the gospel to impact lives through the ministry of this church. So thank you for having me my, uh, today. It's, a, it's an honor to worship with you. And uh, I'm also grateful Kurt did not ask me to continue on in your teaching series today as well. Uh, He's doing a great job. But I want to thank you on behalf of uh, Life Choices, our board of directors, all of our staff, and our volunteers. Some of you even here today volunteer and serve with us at Life Choices. Your prayers, your generosity, your faithfulness towards this work here in our region. It is saving babies from abortion, and it is transforming lives. And so we are so grateful for you and for all of this church's uh, partnership with us. And you can give yourself a, a round of applause for that as well. So... But also, you're helping us uh, impact lives that have been, um, uh, that have experienced abortion. People who have abortion in their past. You're allowing us to be able to express the forgiveness and the grace of God, so that they can walk more fully in freedom. And uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the work that we do, we never provide uh, nor refer for abortion, but we we give free services away that advocate for life, life affirming services. Um, to help uh, those facing crisis in their pregnancy or those struggling through a pregnancy or parenting time. Uh, We offer uh, our options, counseling, free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, free parenting and fatherhood classes. We're the only um, group in Northern Nevada that has a medical mobile unit that's able to do this as well. So we we partner with other groups and places and take that medical mobile unit out and use that as well to advocate for that. And we want to invite you to our special event we're having on October 21st. Um, it's going to be up in Reno where you can come and learn in greater detail about the life and ministry of uh, life choices, what God has called us to do and champion uh, throughout our community. And this year, our special speaker, um, she comes from the Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, she's the director there uh, for uh, Life Affirming Services and, and she's an attorney and um, she's argued before the Supreme Court uh, once uh, in a case related to California and Baraka and that sort of thing. And she was pregnant at the time in which she argued that successfully in front of the Supreme Court, and then um, she also has helped recently with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, and so um, we are uh, grateful to have her. You can um, learn more about life choices. I have a table in the back, lots of great information. You can even scan this image that's behind me, so go ahead and get your camera out. I'll pose for you. So it's not an awkward thing, but you could also connect you directly to uh, the event that is here. So no, I'm serious. Take your po- photo. It's fine. I don't care. Um, but recently, your church uh, extended some great generosity towards us um, and helped us uh, provide some transformation to the physical campus that we have here in Carson City. We're located just a block off of East Williams on the corner of Stewart and East John, um, uh, kind of there behind um, The cracker box and close to uh, Pioneer uh, High School. Um, And you guys, uh, Dave French came in and did all the labor. And Chuck Pope and others from the mission team, Pastor Kurt, the staff, and others from here uh, made sure that we had brand new carpet in our facility there and covered lots and lots of stuff. It was extremely generous. It still smells like new carpet and not nice and fresh. So we're grateful for that. Um, But beyond those things, beyond your prayers and your commitment for over the decades, is this church's heart to champion a culture for life. And you have several distinct ministries that this church offers that I can tell you without violating any HIPAA violations, we have clients who are experiencing transformation in because your church puts those on and makes those happen. So we're seeing people not only choose life, but we're also seeing people pursue an abundant life in Christ. And your church plays an integral role in changing their lives. So be encouraged. And no, we are grateful. Um, I can see God at work through the life and ministry of this church family and it's beautiful and it's extravagant and it is definitely needed because there are many within our reach, within your reach that are far from God. And so I consider it as a pastor here in this community a great joy in knowing that there are people of God like you, worshiping in faithfulness to God, who desire to see the extravagant love and grace and mercy of God declared and shared in biblical ways and to see people experience salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to take time together in the word of God, focusing on our role in prayer, as well as interceding for others. Um, And that idea for us can be somewhat kind of tricky. And when we talk about intercession and prayer, uh, we can even get more confused or maybe even feel it's an unnecessary pressure. But I'm letting you know, prayer is more than just before a meal or that prayer you make when you're speeding and you hope you don't get caught. It's a little bit more than that, folks. And uh, some of us understand that, but let's practice what we're talking about. And I'm gonna pray for us as we get into our time together in scripture here this morning. God, thank you for this loving church family. Thank you for the way in which you have placed them in this community to do ministry and work for your glory. Thank you for the men and the women, the generations who have served you and given and sacrificed so that the gospel can be proclaimed in this place. Lord, I pray that as we consider your words, your prayer for us in John chapter 17 today, God, that you would stir in our hearts anew a passion for your name, a passion for your church, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that desire to obey your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, many people within our society and within our world pray, um, but ultimately what they pray to and what they pray about is up for debate. People pray to meaningless gods, to shrines. Some people pray to elements within our world like the sun, moon, stars, and wind. So the concept of prayer is not exclusive to those who choose to follow Christ, but what is exclusive and the exclusivity of the gospel is centered around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, this is whom we pray to. This is whom we live for, and there is none like him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one can experience eternity with God without him. And I believe there is a waiting and watching world that knows this, but stays at a distance sometimes. And I think prayer is an integral part in connecting the two. See, I had this friend named Toby, he played basketball. He was actually really, really good at basketball. And um, I would notice that before a game, Toby would go stand underneath the hoop and he would do this little thing here and look up at the hoop. And so I finally asked him, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm praying to Rim God. I go, Rim God? He goes, yes, I'm praying to Rim God. I go, does it work for you? He goes, well, look at my stats. I said, okay. He says, you want to pray with, rim, pray with me to Rim God? And I said, Toby, I'm not going to pray with you to Rim God. No, I'm not going to do that. He goes, well, you can pray for me. And I said, sure. So I stood off on the sideline over here where I'm supposed to sit. And he was underneath Rim God. And I prayed to God for strength for him and wisdom as he articulates himself around the court and, and, and does, does those things. Obviously, I wasn't built to play basketball. Um, I am really good at fouling, um, but that's about it. Uh, I was not a basketball player, but I was a basketball supporter. And um, I told him I wouldn't pray to this God he had created, but I would pray to the God who made him, who knows him. And I know at some level, Toby wanted this. He invited me to pray for him. I believe he knew that ultimately the rim God prayers were worthless. And he was longing for prayer in connection to the real God. And in those moments, we have to remember how priceless that is. But there's a tension for us. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we're told to confess your sins to one another and pray for another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish month. I, 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 I've gotten really good at confessing my prayers. I have a 13-year-old. She tells me all the time all the things I've done wrong and keeps me on track and how I need to do better. Um, so I've gotten really good at confession, and we've prayed, we pray for often, you know, people will God be healed spiritually as well as physically, but it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And in, fe- in fact, I've struggled not necessarily with the confession and the, the, the crying out for healing, but it's the righteousness part. Because uh, even though I don't struggle necessarily always with pride and admitting my own failures, I've always seen a connection to this righteousness with what I can do in and of myself, And through time, God has shown me that this righteousness has nothing to do with me and everything to do with what God has done for us. And so I'm going to read James chapter five in another version that puts it this way. It says, make this your common practice, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together, whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with in and of myself, nothing in Christ, everything and I can purpose every day, even in my failures, to pursue Jesus and to pursue the cross and to live according to his word. And this I can do a little bit better. The righteousness thing, no, that makes me feel like I need to perform and do a bunch of performance-based religion. So my response for many, time, for many years to James chapter 5, verse 16 was tainted. Religiosity plagues us. And even though I know my identity has to be fully rooted in Christ and his work on the cross for us, prayer often was rooted in what I felt I could get in exchange for what I say. I made prayer more of a ritual and an act than a time to glory in God and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to intercede for those needs that are around us. And so I want to focus on a role model of prayer, so to speak, that would be Jesus himself if you didn't know, and what it means to intercede for others. It's a prayer a person living right with God can pursue in this world. Prayer is uh, something we can pursue in community with one another, within your schools, public or private, within your workplace, in your church, and in your home. Parents, you are to be the number one disciple makers of your children, and so prayer is something that should be modeled. And again, it has to be more than just for meals. Hebrews seven twenty four through 25 tells us about this model. It says, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Meaning Jesus is on the throne today. I don't know what you're facing and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the temptation that is besieging against your heart and the war within your soul to live right for God, but Jesus does and he's on the throne and he's interceding for you and he will from now until eternity to save and perfect and keep everyone who comes to God through him always in the job to speak up for you. So if we want to focus on the role of prayer in our life and interceding for others, we need to first stop and understand the role of Jesus as our great intercessor. So turn with me now to John chapter 17. I'm going to be reading for you where we can see from scripture how Christ is able to save to the uttermost forever since he's always lives to make intercession for us. This means we should not talk about our salvation in static terms the way we often do as if I did something once in this act of decision and Christ did something once when he died and rose again and and that's all there is to it. That's not what it's limited to. This very day I am being kept by the intercession of Jesus Christ in heaven. Jesus is praying for us and that is essential to all that we are. And we are saved eternally by him, our great advocate, the chief high priest, Jesus Christ. He prays for us. He prays for you. And his prayers are answered because he, in his perfection, doesn't lack anything. He prays perfectly on the basis of that perfect sacrifice. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, know he is interceding for you. Let's look at uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 12. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world that, we, that were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world and yet uh, they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me, and guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is interceding for you right now, but when was the last time you stopped to consider that? When was the last time that you considered that the risen Christ, the one who have all authority in heaven and on earth has, uh, has been given to him is pleading for you with the Father right now? And not only is he pleading for you, not only is he holding you in prayer, but it's done because of what he has done for us, his personal work for us. The very life of the risen Christ is a plea for us. And so if we're to be united in faith to him, which is also the cry of this prayer, to his ongoing life and work as he sits on the right-hand throne of the Father, we need to understand the role of intercession in our lives and how it begins with him. So as we kind of consider this, I want you to pause and think about for yourself, when was the last time you considered this intercession of Jesus? Standing before the Father, pleading for you. Because the more we recall this, the more we reflect on this, it should fill us with great confidence and hope, but also extreme gratitude. Let's keep reading now in John chapter 17, picking up in verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, I also have sent them into this world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they and themselves may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And what I love here in particular is verse 17 where it says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And in essence, that's what we experienced even today during the corporate time of worship and song, those last two songs that are a little bit different in their nature because it reminds us it sanctifies our heart, it washes over us the word and the truth of God's word for our lives. So we are to intercede for each other to sh- as we share in ministry and life together to plead before God the Father on the behalf of those around us. But we don't do this for each other on the basis of our own righteousness, as it says here. It's a work that God has done. Texts like Romans 8 34 and 1 John two verse 1 says it's Christ's intercession that is exactly that for us. There is no person or living or dead that can intercede for us the way that Christ does and must. In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that we have supreme confidence in God's acceptance of us because of Christ who died and rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so again, I don't know what you're facing in your life, the temptation that is your constant struggle maybe, the worry or the fear that you're, you're going through, but there are days that come when we need to stop and remember this truth and this promise from God. God. I've been even reminded this morning as I've been here in worship with you this morning about people who've been partnering with my family and praying for us. This last June, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and we underwent through a lot of different circumstances and situations over the last few months, as many of you understand personally, uh, given your own story and experience. But I remember uh, as we started this process and we started to ask people for prayer and to pray for us, um, thinking that uh, you know, this was going to be um, something that God would just fix for us and we would go on our way, that this was just a, a blimp on the radar. But it was months of walking through some of the greatest unknown circumstances of my life. Taking a back to school photo with my kids on the first day of school, her being in the hospital that day and me being home thinking, could that have been my forever reality? I don't know what you're going through but I do know God and I do know that he is interceding for you and he sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he is at work while you wait on him. And we live in a world that could drive us, any one of us under the covers into hiding every day. When we look out the windows of the the world around us, we see injustice and pain and for that, there might not be much reason to even hope Neither will running to any political party or institution that devalues life and perpetuates what is called a culture of death. When we are faced with our heartache and our suffering and our pain and our uncertainty and the calamity and the evil of the world around us, our confidence and hope is rooted in and found alone in Christ, the righteous one, the one who died for our transgressions and was raised for our justification, who is interceding for us right now no matter what we're facing, he is with us. And because of this, we can be sure he will save us to the uttermost. He will save us completely and he will save us forever. And he is pleading his case for us now. And he will continue to do so for all eternity because Jesus intercedes for you. We can come to God with what looks like unexplainable confidence and irrational hope because we come on the basis of Christ. Because Jesus is interceding for us while Satan, whose name means accuser, is accusing us, pointing out our sins and our screw-ups just as he did with someone like Job. Satan loves when you're beaten down, laying on the ground, and his foot is on your throat and you feel hopeless and without breath. But before Christ, those accusations fall on deaf ears in heaven because Jesus' work on the cross paid for our sin, your debt in full. Therefore, God always sees his beloved through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, his righteousness, his perfect holiness was put on us, it was imputed on us, while our sin was put on him at his death. And in this great exchange, as 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, it took away forever our sinful state before God so God can accept us he can see God can see Jesus righteousness that blamelessness before him and so it's important to understand that there's none like Jesus because no one else can do this there is none like him some pray to to saints like Mary or other heroes of the faith but none of them have the power to intercede for us before the throne of God Christ alone is the God-man and he mediates and intercedes between God and man for us and this should bring us great confidence when we pray and live for others or live our faith out before others. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So if Jesus has all this taken care of, why do we need to worry about this role of intercession and prayer in our life? Well, when Jesus prayed when he was talking about this intercession, he prayed that the church would be marked by his glory. This isn't glory we make up on our own. And see, that's what I thought the prayer of a righteous man was a lot like, making up my own rightness and my own goodness. No, the righteousness is put on us by Jesus Christ. The glory is put on you by God the Father. You are reflecting his glory, and that is his heart. And if he calls us to reflect a pathway of intercession and prayer so his glory can be revealed, then it's a calling we must obey. Let's finish out John chapter 17, now picking up in verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you set me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I go, where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and you will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them the security of God's love. When we aren't secure in the love of the Father, we often struggle understanding his role as our great intercessor and reflecting his heart of prayer and service and compassion to the world around us. Even this summer, as things were tainted for us regarding this journey through cancer, I remember thinking, hey, I, I'm actually kind of a good guy. I do nice things for people and... Um, I let my 13-year-old correct me, right? <laughs> when I'm obviously wrong about all the time. And I try not to cut people off when I'm driving. I apologize to some of you. So surely, so surely when I pray for my wife, you know, I'm a pastor and I do this pro-life ministry. Surely when I pray, I, I've, God's gonna hear my prayer and heal my wife. And then you get called back and they begin to describe the cancer that's taking over her body. And God didn't move and God didn't heal her the way I prayed and wanted him to. Because again, not only do we sometimes look to fulfill righteousness in our own standing, but we try to tell God how to move in righteousness. And we can't do either of those things. In myself, nothing. In Christ, everything. And so as God the Father shared his glory with God the Son, so Jesus gave glory to his people. And he calls the church to reflect that. So these moments in which our family has had to go through and thankfully the cancer has been removed, the margins around that uh, and everything else is clear. My wife is doing much better and I'm so grateful for God and many of you have prayed uh, with us. Some of you even this morning asked me how she was doing uh, more recently Um, and we've got other things we have to go through but we continue to press on. But in those moments I had to shift from thinking about, man, I prayed and and God didn't answer me to, God, I'm praying and I'm interceding and I'm waiting on you, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you have for me to understand more about you? How can I reflect you more fully in these circumstances? And I see this in an active way in our journey with this recently. There was a procedure before the surgery my wife had to have and she was terrified and she was filled with fear and this woman who's helping her sees this and she prays the name of Jesus over her. See, she was connected to the heart of the Father and understood God was at work. And she was willing to stop and pray with my wife and the presence of God made known in that place brought everything. And the glory of his presence is a great reflection. The glory of his word is a great reflection. The glory of his spirit during worship and prayer, the glory of his power and leadership and provision of our life, it can all be reflected in these aspects. Are essential parts of uh, of the presence of Jesus, God, the son. And so spiritually speaking, when God gives or displays his glory to his people, it's in some type of manifestation of God's presence. And in that room, when my wife was ready to lose her mind, God's presence was made known through a stranger who was bent towards God in prayer for another. So why should we focus on the role of prayer and intercession for others? Because when we do, we reflect the glorious radiance of God to a waiting and watching world. It's important to remember that the glory that God, the Father, gave to God, the Son, was glory that often appeared humble. It was surrendered and and, and even appeared to many as weak or suffering. It was a glory that was ultimately displayed through the radical sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the glory of Jesus is almost always opposite of what we look for in glory. We talk about the glory days, the good old days. We self-glory and pride in our accomplishments. Give me a screwdriver and a piece of wood and I feel really good about myself when it stays up on the wall, right? And I look around and I look at it and I point it out to my wife a lot. Look at what I did still there. Yeah, did that. We glory in a lot. And some of you know that it's okay to have a good pride in your heart for the things in which you've done and obeyed God for and say, thank you, Lord, for. But you also know what the wrong kind of pride is as well. But as Jesus ended this prayer, it talks about love. It reminds us about godly love. Jesus received love from God the Father, and this love relationship was the strength and sustenance of his life. The foundation of our lives need to be built on the transformational love of God. This should remind us of the essential place of godly love in the life of those following Christ and the church Not some kind of woke, liberated, tolerant love, but a godly love that brought to us salvation and glory to God. Because Jesus thought it so specifically um, to to pray for love when he could have prayed for anything else. Because you take godly love from joy and you only have hedonism and selfishness. Take godly love from a holy pursuit and you really just have a self-pursuit, a self-righteousness. Take godly love from joy, or take godly love from from, uh, truth, and you only have bitter orthodoxy, just mere religiosity. Take love from a mission, and all you want to do is conquest, and, and take over. Take godly love from the pursuit of unity, and what you just have is someone ruling over everyone and being a tyrant. Jesus prayed that the disciples would not only be filled with love, the love of God the Father, but they would also know the indwelling presence of Jesus himself. And that from that, their lives would be transformed and their life of prayer would be transformed. So what does your prayer life look like? I've heard it said that before... um, I've heard it said before that prayer is not only at the heart of the Christian life, but it's also at the heart of a lot of Christian frustration, misunderstanding, and even pain. And I'm being honest with you here this morning. There was a lot of pain in the unanswered prayers, quote unquote, in my timing this summer. But I get to look back now and I get to go home every day. And my wife is still alive and the cancer is no longer in her body. And I can be filled with gratitude and I can learn in that process. My unanswered prayers taught me what it meant to serve my family fully, to appreciate everything that she does. I don't know how many times I have to tell the kids in the morning to put their underwear on before school, 17 or 18. I don't understand why we have to do that. And after washing the counter off for the 20 millionth time after breakfast, all of a sudden my heart became very aware of the work she does in our home the work she does for our family, humbly. So God, what do you want me to learn? You want me to learn about the partnership I have with this woman. What do you want me to learn, God? How I can pray for her for strength and energy for everything she does. What do you want me to learn, God, in the midst of this? Not why me, but what do you want to teach me? Jesus lived and he taught a life of prayer. So what does your prayer life look like? Jesus was a person of prayer and being a person of prayer has to be a priority in our lives. This doesn't mean you get vocal and shout, but that's fine too, you Pentecostals in the room. (laughs) It doesn't mean you have to have a special closet in which you go and hide in every single day. A vibrant life of prayer is, is as unique as a person's fingerprint, but it has to be evident in our life. Jesus prayed at this baptism in Luke chapter 3 before he chose the 12 disciples in Luke chapter 6. When the crowds increased in Luke chapter 5 before he asked the 12 disciples for their confession of faith in Luke 9 and also in his transfiguration in Luke 9. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 tells us that the disciples knew he would go away quietly and pray. So if the perfect son of God, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, if he had to be a man of prayer while he walked this earth, then how much more must a vibrant life of prayer be evident in our lives. Every request which our Lord made on our behalf necessitated the personal sacrifice of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And apart from his finished work in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, these words would be mere wishful thinking. But praise be to God, he did what he did. The price has been paid for our salvation and none of us could have paid what was due. It was paid for you once and for all, and it never needs to be paid again. So God wants us to pray like he does, to pray for others, because intercessory prayer reflects God's own character of outgoing love and mercy. And that is something our world desperately needs, to know the difference between the tainted love our world offers and the tolerance it offers and godly mercy and godly love. He wants you to think like he does. He wants you to pray for others like he does and to think beyond yourself and to grow in compassion. And so when we talk about praying for others, it should come from our heart. Again, it doesn't have to be um, overly expressive, but it has to come with sincerity to it. We need to pray for others regularly. In what's called the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us to pray and to give thanks for our daily bread. You can go through scripture just like that and pray through it, praying for your daily needs to be met. It talks about forgiving others and and experiencing forgiveness. It talks about praying uh, for the holiness of God to to grow in your life as well. And so we should pray in those types of ways, but we should also pray in some details. Those prayers of the just like, you know, hey, bless everybody today. That's not going to you know, get you uh, in trouble, but it's not very specific. So try to take notice of certain things. Yeah, you don't need to remember their names, and you might call the thing they're going through by the wrong name. But throw in those details. Pray and don't be rushed. But also pray with faith, knowing that God has all the power and loves the people we are praying for. Why is it that my kids seem to pray with more faith than me? They will pray for that dead frog for like three weeks. One time, one of my kids asked, this lady came into our church and she didn't have any legs. She had prosthetic legs on. And they asked, should we pray that her legs grow back? And I thought to myself, maybe we should. (laughs) When we get older and experience more realities in life, we often forget how integral faith is in our prayers. Faith reminds us that God knows what is eternally best for each person, and this reflects his sovereignty, that he answers in the right way at the right time. This summer was not his, my timing wasn't answered, but God's was and it is being answered, and we can trust that he has our best in mind, and there is no one, even the most loving relationship you have this side of heaven, that loves you as completely and wholly as he does but also remember to reflect godly love. I love when I've been places and people want to get up after me and and do corrective prayers over me because they think I have bad theology or I said something weird and they give me those corrective prayers. I definitely pray those over my kids in the morning. Uh, You know, I say, God, forgive them for their hitting of each other and all of those types of things. We need to pray for each other, though, with real love, sincerity. Admitting the need and the struggle and the feeling and consider that God loves each of them and wants us to have the same ongoing concern, godly love is totally unselfish. And that's the essence of God's character for us. So pray in that type of love. Pray fervently. Pray, pray faithfully. Pray for others and maybe even consider how you can help them. It might include physical help or just encouragement. It might mean uh, sharing a scripture verse or writing out a card or sending a text. It's important to tell people you're praying for them. And to pray with them. And then of course there's prayer and fasting. That time where you would remove yourself from a meal. I obviously fast quite a bit. (laughs) Y'all laughed. I go to the gym every morning too. You want to laugh at that? (laughs) Sometimes it requires stripping away of everything going on in our lives. And sometimes food or the concept of noise needs to be fasted from in our life. So that we can concentrate wholly on uh, fully on God and his holiness. But there's other practical ways we can be people who pray. Write the name of someone you love that needs Jesus on a piece of paper and tape it to your shampoo bottle and pray over it every day. And if you're not uh, going to the shower and using it every day, this will also be a good thing for you. You're welcome. <laughs> pray on, the, on a walk over the houses in your neighborhood. Arrive early at work and walk through the office or the hallways praying. If you teach at a school, walk along the corridors and pray for those students. You see those backpacks, pray for them, remember them. We had a friend who would arrive early over the area of cubicles that she supervised and she would take little Bible verses and roll them up and stick them into the cracks of her work and pray those verses over her coworkers. Just be mindful in remembering how you can pray over them. But pray over your home, your kids, your spouse, pray with them. Pray out loud, pray in your heart. Pray while you're at the movie theater waiting for the movie to start. When you're waiting in traffic. I talked earlier during the first service about praying at the DMV even. And one of my prayers about the DMV got answered. So that was good. And we want to encourage you to continue to pray for us at Life Choices pray we continue to champion with great grace and mercy and compassion and love, life-affirming services in our community and beyond so that God would be glorified. Pray for the safety and the protection of our staff and volunteers, as well as our clients who come in. But your prayers are making a difference. They're making a difference in the young woman who's come into Life Choices because the man she's pregnant with is also married and pregnant with that woman, and she didn't know what she would do with this unplanned pregnancy. Your prayers are making a difference in the life of a young man who came and chose life with his girlfriend for his unborn baby who is now a little bit, a few months old, and the mom wants nothing to do with him or the baby, and he's figuring out what it means to be a single dad at a young age. For that couple, we pray for them who has the rest of their lives ahead of them, married, happy, but, don't, but they do not see a baby in their plans and see abortion as the only way. We ask that you pray for us with those people who have experienced abortion in their lives, who are hurting, who have struggled, who are, being, uh, who are holding on to some of that, that we would be able to encounter them and connect them and, and share with them and lavish upon them the love and grace of Jesus. And we can celebrate what's happened recently in our courts through the Supreme Court and Roe versus Wade Courts, lawmakers can make abortion illegal again throughout this country, but it's going to be God through his church that will make it unthinkable. And so you pray for that with us, the holiness of life, for revival of hearts and minds to be turning back to Jesus. So why should we pray and intercede for others? Because Jesus modeled for us what that is to be. And he's interceding for you. So because he intercedes for us, we can come to him with what looks like unexplainable confidence and irrational hope because we come on the basis of Christ. And this summer, as my family walked through some of those difficult circumstances, I didn't have a lot of that. It was harder. But I had many friends and many within the church praying for us and holding us up so that I could learn from God in this season. And people are praying for you and will help you encounter what God wants you to learn as you seek him and stay surrendered to his lordship for your life. Let's pray together. Father God, may we all purpose to reflect your glory and your majesty in our life in what we say and what we do and of course, in how we pray and intercede, we pray that God, you would be most glorified. I pray that you would let us and lead us into this new week with a different view on prayer. That all of our life would stay centered on you. That we would experience a sense of security in your care for us. With a new resolve, a ready commitment to prevail and persist in prayer without doubting your love. That we would be unmovable that we would stand in the gap for those in our life who are struggling physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and that we would pray boldly for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our life and in the lives around us. And may we continue to rejoice that this work, this great work of God is active in our lives as well. Isaiah 62, six through seven says, Upon your wall, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. For this, my friends, it is our call to prayer and intercession, to reflect and glorify God, to pray faithfully, to pray boldly, and to pray for great things for God and his kingdom wherever we are, whatever we do, may we bring forth God's glory through what we say and how we act. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.